following program is paid for by the Cadillac Foundation. It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. Each week, we are here to bring you important information about health and medical information available to you. The program made possible through funding by the Cadillac and Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundations. Both nonprofit philanthropy organizations raise funds in our community to support vital health services at Cadillac Regional Medical Center and associated Cadillac services. In recent weeks, we've been addressing some difficult and sensitive topics. Last week, specially trained nurses who were equipped to work with victims of sexual assault when they come to the hospital for help. Today, we're going to tackle another challenging subject, the thankfully rare but heart-wrenching experience of a baby born but not being wanted. We want to shine the light on this topic today as it recently occurred in our area when the remains of a stillborn baby were found along the freeway outside the Tri-Cities. Our first guest tonight is Marissa Miller. She is the assistant nurse manager at the emergency department at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And emergency rooms from around the region have teamed up with EMS agencies to raise awareness about help available to moms and families facing this circumstance. Marissa, good evening. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. But, man, just maybe an initial comment of just why this is necessary and really just a a brief summary of what it entails and what the process people should go through should they be in this situation. Yeah, hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, This is just definitely something that's close to all of our hearts um, when you hear it in the news and see it, you know, see it on the news nationwide, really. You just wish that they could have heard that there's other options, that we know that it was a tough decision for them to make and that there was an easier decision for them available, but maybe they weren't aware of it. So we as a community just want people to know that if you find yourself in that situation, that there are options and you can remain, you can remain anonymous. Um, there's no criminal attachment to it. As long as your baby is unharmed within 72 hours of birth, you can legally drop them off with a person. You can't just leave them, but you can drop them off with a person at any emergency department, fire station, or a rural health care clinic if they are in business hours. So we, we really just want people to know that there's other options and that we support your decision. Um, we're not here to judge, but we're here to support. And some people just aren't in the situation, you know, they find themselves in an unexpected situation where they can't put the baby first. And that that's, you know, we we are here to give them other options and we just want people to know that they are not alone. In reading a little bit about this topic, I know it's extremely rare, thankfully, but it, it does happen, yeah. as we just evidenced. Um, what Have you experienced it where it's actually happened, or has the, has the Catholic ER seen this, uh, given its rarity? No, not, not at all. Not anywhere in the Tri-Cities that I'm aware of. I mean, I've been in the ER for 11 years now, and it definitely hasn't happened at the emergency department. Cadillac, but um, in the state of Washington, the law went live in 2002, and on the DCYF website, which is um, where you can get all of this information, starting in 2009, they started publishing these incidents, and there has been 59 of them in the state of Washington since 2009. So it is happening, maybe not super locally, but definitely around us, 
And and I was going to say you mentioned that website and and that organization. If you'd like, if you have a pencil handy, folks listening, Washington State Division of Children, Youth, and Families, and the website is DCYF. So the acronym for that, and it's DCYF.wa.gov, and it does have information on this topic for should you know you encounter somebody in that scenario, or if you happen to to know someone that might be facing this crisis to, to, to reference them too. But Marissa, with, with this instance, uh, I understand the most recent instance, it was a stillborn baby. So it was someone that maybe the baby was born. uh, And and that's what you said within three days. So many of these cases are babies that probably are born in hospitals. Yeah, I think born in hospitals or, you know, like that specific situation we're not, you know, we don't know if that baby was delivered on the side of the road and was a stillborn. I mean, the autopsy said it was a stillborn, but I think that early in life, it's kind of hard to tell. And within those first couple hours of, of birth, it's very critical that a baby gets the medical deten- attention that they need. Same with the mom. I mean, there's always, you know, room for complications with any birth. So um, it's very important that not only the baby is taken care of, but the mom as well. So as it does happen in the hospitals, you know, they can be surrendered at birth. Mom can give birth at the hospital and then later decide, you know, to surrender safely. Um, Or this baby could be born at home unexpectedly and mom just decides, you know, I can't do this. And there are, there are options. It's also uh, an opportunity to, to do what's best. And if you change your mind, you get in a better mindset. If you can do something with help, um, the baby becomes, you know, property of the state when you surrender, but there's a social worker attached to every child. And if there is a change in mind, they can get you in touch with that social worker and work on, you know, getting back to where you want to be with your baby. What should people listening to this interview and listening to this topic, what should they know about? What would you like them to know, I guess, maybe just from a lay member of the public? Yeah, just, I mean, not only do we support you, but it's a very courageous decision. You know, it's, I have two kids. Being a mom is hard when you expect it, when you have it planned. It's busy, it's hard, and when you're not in a position to provide for your baby or if you're not in a position to to take care of them on your own, you know, what what better opportunity to do something that you're you know, you can give your baby more. Maybe you can't, but by surrendering safely, you are giving them more. And like I said, it's a very it's a very difficult decision to make and knowing that you don't want to do it but still being able to do it, it, it takes a lot of guts and um, like I said, we're, we're here to support you. We're not here to judge you. We won't ask questions. Uh, we just want you to do the right thing for, for that baby. They deserve a chance at life. You just brought up my next question is the training that the emergency department staff, the hospital staff, because, I mean, I, I suppose they could just walk into the main entrance to the hospital, too. It's not going to necessarily be to the, to the ER or wherever. They could just walk in to the medical facility, but I think you're sharing fire stations and EMS agencies as well. Um, so do you, you must all go through this training at least on what to expect. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a nurse. It doesn't have to be a doctor. It can be a volunteer at the hospital. As long as you are in a safe zone and give that child to someone, physically give them to someone 
um, it's legal. Like I said, it can be a volunteer. It can be, you know, just administration. You can give that baby to anyone as long as uh, you make contact. I know some states have, like, safe haven boxes and baby surrender boxes. We do not have that in the state of Washington. You have to physically hand your baby over. But it can be to anyone at any of those facilities, a fire station or a hospital. Any, any person at any of those facilities will, is, is fine. Marissa Miller, Assistant Nurse Manager with the Catholic Emergency Department. She, along with other emergency department colleagues around the Tri-Cities, as well as EMS personnel, uh, r- raising awareness in our community about this unfortunate circumstance that, uh, while rare, thankfully, it does happen. And we'll be visit more with Marissa right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Foundations at Cadillac, and we're discussing today the topic of help available for parents of unwanted newborns and what options they have should they not want to keep that child. We're visiting with Marissa Miller, Assistant Nurse Manager of the Emergency Department at Cadillac Regional Medical Center in Richland, and earlier this year, the remains of a stillborn baby were found along the freeway outside the Tri-Cities. The baby was believed to be about 30 weeks gestation and with 40 weeks being full term. And Marissa, for people just joining the program and just learning about this difficult subject, what should they know should they encounter someone wishing to, for for whatever reason, not want their newborn child? Yeah, I think it's it's important for them to know that there is support in the community and um, surrendering your baby in the state of Washington is illegal. It's um it's something that is in place to help you. It, it is a resource that people can reach out and use. And um, anybody within, any baby within 72 hours of age um, can easily be surrendered as a safe place to a safe person. And those safe places include emergency departments and fire stations um, during their hours of operation. So I think if, if you know somebody that's struggling or you know someone that's not not sure, you know, which direction they're going to go, making sure they know that they have options and that, you know, the hospital staff, whether it be a nurse, a volunteer, whoever they encounter, we are there to support them and we we support their courageous decision because we know it's not an easy one and sometimes becoming a parent unexpectedly, you you don't have much of a choice. So uh, we just want people to know that there are options and that we're here to support you and answer your questions, provide medical care to both you and your baby um, and, um, yeah, I mean, if you have questions that you can reach out, you can ask and you can always change your mind. There's always, there's always time to go back and say, Hey, I wasn't ready, but what can I do to make this right? I was going to say, obviously in most cases, it's, it's, it's a mom in this instance doing this, but, huh? but, but I was going to say, I'm guessing there's also instances where there's a, the mom and the partner that, you know, together decide for whatever reason they want to take Absolutely. this action. Is that, yeah. is that true, I would suppose? I mean, the law supports males and females. I mean, moms and dads surrendering. So, yeah, I'm sure, like I said, it's not an easy decision. And if you have somebody to help you, you know, if you're making that decision with with somebody and, you know, it's the right thing for you, then then that's really all that matters is to give that baby a chance. 
clearly, as you've already addressed, the, the compassion for the mom and the dad, for whatever reason, for wanting to arrive at this decision. You said it's a courageous decision, and certainly you want to account for their feelings as well, but is is the priority from the way the law or way this process is set up, is it priority, I'm guessing, is on the child itself? As far as surrender, yes, but any anybody can come to the emergency department and receive care. You know, if if you are ready to surrender your baby, but you are still having birth complications, by all means, that doesn't, that, I mean, they can have nothing to do with each other. You can say if you surrender your baby and still, still get medical care. So both, we're worried about both parties. We want the baby safe, we want the mom safe, and if you are choosing to surrender, you can still get help. Your baby's going to get help. So, um, yeah, I mean, our priority is to keep the baby safe and give them an opportunity that mom and dad can't can't provide, but we also want mom to be safe as well. I had mentioned at the beginning of our program that a week or two ago we addressed the topic that when you encounter victims of sexual assault that come into the emergency department and specially trained nurses in that in that uh, area to to help women in this instance. Uh, this just like as much so uh, another very difficult topic. Um, you know, you see a lot in the ER, don't you? Yes, we do. But maybe just a comment about that. You're a you're a, an ER nurse. You're also you touched on in, in our first segment. You're a mom yourself, and so is yeah. the is the importance from this uh, for all of you and your colleagues, and and maybe even any caregiver in a hospital setting who might encounter someone is is to, to keep in mind that, that objectivity and, and the importance of compassion? Absolutely. I mean, you like to think that no one intentionally has a baby to not take care of them, right? You want to you believe that people are doing things for the better reason. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations that you can't, you can't get out of. And even though it's a devastating situation, it's still courageous to to do something against, you know, what you would do if you were in a different situation. So it, it's a big decision. And, you know, the things that we see in the emergency department, one of our, our biggest things is to leave your bias at the door because people are coming to us for help when they don't have any other options. And all we can do is support them. You know, they, they are probably seeking help for something that they don't want to in the first place, but we are there to help and be non-judgmental, treat everyone with respect, and and that's why we're in the field that we are, is because that's what our compassion is for. That's what our passion is about. And, and with the children, you touched on the process for say when a family wants to safely bring a newborn that that they do not want. Do you know what I, you touched on a little bit? What can you share? What do you know about what happens with the baby? Uh, from the the point of when they are brought in uh, to the hospital or to a fire station? So we have a, um, a packet of information that if the mom is willing, we will ask them questions, medical history, family history. We don't need mom's name. We don't need, you know, demographics. But in order to support that baby, if we have as much information as possible, you know, does mom have any medical history? Does dad have any medical history? We can ask all those questions, and at the end of the day, it's still anonymous. Um, so the baby comes to the emergency department. 
we check them out if it's if they needed to go you know if they needed to be admitted they can go to the pediatric unit if there are some injuries that you know need to be taken care of or if they have some um, complications from birth they may stay in the pediatric unit they may end up in the NICU but our job is to make sure that baby's safe and then we call CPS they come in and then that baby is placed into a foster home until they find placement permanent placement so amazing to sorry my voice is going oh no, no worries no worries I, I know <laughs> Uh, and this isn't an easy topic to, to discuss, but but I know you, you touched on it, and maybe just another question in this realm that uh, the calling that that you know certainly emergency room nurses, anybody that works in a clinical setting in healthcare, but but in particular, you know, you said you leave your biases door at the door, but at the same time, uh, when you walk in for a shift or a day, you have no idea what's coming through that door, right? Oh uh, yes, no idea. That's the fun part. <laughs> the fact that you're a mom, does that uh, make this a little more passionate to you when you heard about this story and, and to make make sure I know you reached out to some of our colleagues and I guess in this instance, our program, that, hey, we, would, we, we need to get the word out about this and what resources are available for people? Yeah, um, I definitely have become a softy after I had my own kids and I think that knowing how hard it is, even though I wanted it and I was planning it and, you know, my husband and I, this is what we want, but I can't imagine not having the support that I do now um, from my family, my coworkers, you know, just having a family with support. I can't imagine having an unplanned pregnancy without the support. So it is true. I mean, it's definitely dear to my heart and that, you know, the news article of the baby that was the remains found, it was just devastating because maybe that mom didn't know there were other options. Maybe she, you know, do you choose between surrendering your baby or, you know, going to jail? Does she know that that was, you know? So if we can just reach one mom, one person struggling and let them know that there are other options, I think that we have been successful with this. Okay, I've got, I think you have about one more question in your voice. <laughs> but, but if you would, just maybe a 30-second uh, takeaway message for people that might just be tuning in to learn about this topic and, and what your message for them is. Yeah, the state of Washington in 2002 passed the safe haven law to give people options when they feel like they have nothing left. You know, they, they feel like they have to choose one or the other and the the point is is that if you can't provide for your baby then somebody else can and um this is in place to protect the mom and to give the baby a chance at life give the baby medical care Um, we just really want you to know that at the end of the day if you can't do it it's okay it's okay to need help it's okay to not be in a position to to raise a baby so Um, having this option and, you know, spreading the word. If you have friends that are struggling or family that is struggling, just pass it along. Like, hey, did you know that this is a law in the state of Washington? It can be anonymous. There's no legal ramifications to it. You know, there is help. There is support. So I really think the biggest part is just making making sure people know, check in on your friends, check in on your family, and if they're in a position that they can't get out of, let us help you. 
Well said, Marissa, with all of that remaining in your voice. Marissa Miller, Assistant Nurse Manager at Catholic Regional Medical Center, the important topic. And again, that website for more information, dcyf.wa.gov. Back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Foundations at Catholic. And a reminder that if you missed any portion of our program, Catholic on Call is available on podcast. Simply search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Area hospitals and EMS agencies have teamed up recently to raise awareness about the help available for parents who do not wish to keep their newborn babies. We heard the perspective earlier in our show from an ER nurse at Catholic Regional Medical Center, and we'd now like to hear from the EMS community. We're happy to be joined by Mike Van Beek, who is the battalion chief with the Richland Fire and Emergency Services Department. And, Mike, I know uh, the reason we're addressing this topic is uh, we've had an incidence like this, and unfortunately the baby that was found was stillborn, and it was found alongside the freeway outside the Tri-Cities. But from an EMS perspective, what is your message to our listeners tonight? Well, Jim, first of all, thanks for having us. Uh, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show and, and getting the perspective of, of Fire and EMS on this. And, and really what it is, we want to make sure the community knows that we're here to help. And there there is a choice, um, albeit a tough choice, if you're put in this situation where, where you just cannot care for a newborn child. Uh, we're here for you, and we want the community to, to know that they can go to uh, any emergency department or hospital uh, in the area and any fire station and can drop off their, their newborn child and you, we will take it. No questions asked. Uh, you can remain anonymous if you do it. And, and we just want to make sure that we get the word out. So something like what happened uh, a few months ago uh, in our area doesn't happen again. And in, and in these instances, I suppose, you know, it, it's a case where it doesn't necessarily have to be a you know, a, a baby that was born in the hospital and they go home and then they decide they don't want to do, a, you know, to, to keep the baby. But I guess from an EMS standpoint, it could be where, you know, you, you, you would encounter a home birth or something like that. And that's where probably you and your colleagues in the EMS field come in, the first responder community. Yeah, that's true. We, we do get called to a number of, uh, of child births uh, within our community and, and we're there to, to help for that. And, and if it's a situation where, the, the parents uh, feel like they can't uh, care for that child and care for that child effectively and, and care for the child safely or, or maybe provide the uh, medical care that the, the baby needs. We're here to step in and kind of bridge that gap, uh, make sure that a newborn has uh, a safe place to stay while we transition to the hospital and then transition to the, the social service world. What is the process for the first responder community? When we talk to Marissa from Catholic's ER, obviously if a baby is brought into the hospital, they are all right there. Uh, what's the process like if, say, they're brought to a, a local fire station? Yeah, so it, a little bit different. Um, it's actually going to go right right to Marissa at the emergency room, um, you know, because we, we don't have the uh, uh, extensive pediatric uh, equipment to, to care for a newborn like that. But you know, we will gladly take take the child in. We'll make sure it, its basic needs are met as far as 
making sure it's warm. And uh, we're going to take that baby to the emergency room where they can do a, a thorough evaluation on the child, make sure there's no medical uh, needs that need to be addressed. And then uh, from there, move on to uh, social services. Um, one thing I do want to mention is that, um, you know, obviously fire and EMS is starting to pick up. Our run volume is increasing. And there could be a chance if you go to a fire station that that crew is out on a fire or an EMS emergency and they might not be there. So I want to stress the fact that it's important to physically hand the newborn to someone don't just leave the baby in a car seat uh, at the front door because it, it might be hours before we're back um, and, and find the child. So we want to make sure that we, you know, we physically hand, hand the baby off to a, a firefighter or an EMS provider. And that goes for a number of fire stations within our community or volunteer fire stations. So there might not be someone there all the time. So just keep in mind, we want to make sure we want to hand off that baby uh, physically to someone so we can make sure uh, it's safe and sound. That's a really good point. And, and is the criteria, I know that there's actually a state law for this, right? Yeah, there, there actually is a, a state law. And, um, you know, I call it uh, places for safe haven. But the law specifically states that the child has to be 72 hours or less old. Um, in order for the anonymity to apply and for us to basically take the child, uh, no questions asked. Now, I want to put a little bit of a caveat on there. If you have a child that's older than that, and you just feel like you cannot take care of that baby or that child, um, we would rather you bring them to us. Now, there might be um, some other laws that apply uh, in this case if it's an older child, but the biggest thing is that if you feel that your child is not safe with you at home, then uh, you know we would, we would hope you would take that child or that baby somewhere where they are safe, are sound, and can get uh, the help that they need. I think the statistics you had cited since this law has gone into effect, thankfully, in the state of Washington, it's something like 59 or 60 incidents. So I guess over 14 or 15 years, uh, thankfully, it's it's not a regular occurrence. But I would presume, and that's the purpose we're talking about it on the radio, that one of these cases would be too many. Yeah, that's just it. So I think a lot of people forget that this law exists. Um, since I think the law went into effect in 2002 and they started reporting and tracking in, in 2009. So since 2009, uh, 59 babies have been uh, safely delivered to a safe haven location. Um, and because that is a, a fairly small number, it's important to do reminders like this for the community so people know that this does exist and there are options out there um, and, and they can make a, a tough but courageous decision to bring that baby to an emergency department bring it to a fire station, and from there that child will be safe and sound. Unfortunately, the case that we're, we're, that has precipitated this awareness push from the community is, is a case where a, a stillborn baby was left. But have, are you aware of anything any, in our region where, in your career or in recent history, where this has occurred in our part of the state of Washington? So I'm not aware of uh, anything within the uh, Benton and Franklin area since um, I started with Richland Fire and Emergency Services, uh, but I am aware of a, a fairly recent incident where a, a school-aged child was actually brought um, because the family, um, unfortunately, was having some, some mental uh, crisis, which we see all too often in our community today, and they just felt like they could not care for their child. So I'm, I'm sure that was a tough decision uh, for that family. Um, but it was the right decision, and it ultimately enabled um, the parents to get the help that they needed, uh, and it allowed their child to be safe and sound. It's an interesting point that uh, I suppose, obviously, the legal w- 
laws, three days, but I mean, there's no, I suppose, uh, a parenthood, there's no time when, when, if you're in a crisis situation that, that is too dire. And, and is the priority talking about, obviously, all parties involved, but especially the child? Yeah, it, it really is. In a, in a case like uh, we had recently, it really was about, you know, making sure the child was safe, but then obviously, um, you know, the, the guardians or, or parents were the ones that truly needed the help. Um, and we were able to help facilitate that process and get that process started um, and make sure that uh, we took care of both parties. In that case, we made sure the child um, uh, was safe, and then we also made sure that the the parents and the guardian got, um, you know, the really the mental uh, health and the mental health that they needed. Visiting with Mike Van Beek, the battalion chief with Richland Fire and Emergency Services. And again, that website we've been sharing throughout the program, if you'd like more information on this safe haven state law and, and the resources available, visit dcyf.wa.gov. That's the Washington State Division of Children, Youth, and Families. That's dcyf.wa.gov. We have one more segment with Mike, and we'll talk more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Thanks for listening to Cadillac On Call presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. Tonight we're addressing... ERs from around the region have teamed up with EMS agencies to raise awareness about help available to moms and families facing the circumstance of a newborn child that they decide that they do not want to keep for whatever reason and what resources and what opportunities and options are available to them. And we're visiting with Mike Van Beek, who is the battalion chief with Richland Fire and Emergency Services. And, and Mike, if you would, I, I want to add a couple of questions on another topic. Uh, but before we get to those, just if you could just maybe reiterate what options are available for folks that may be just joining us uh, that might be encountering this circumstance? Sure, Jim. You know, we're talking about the, the safe haven laws and, and where someone can bring a child. I just want to say, you know, the, the birth of a child is, is one of the most beautiful times uh, we have in the world. You know, it's full of love, it's full of joy, it's full of celebration. Um, but the birth of a child can also be overwhelming and incredibly difficult. And we just want people to know that there are options out there. If you if you have a newborn child and you feel like you uh, are overwhelmed, you can't care for that child. We want the community to know that you can you can bring that baby to a fire station, uh, a hospital, or an emergency department. You can drop that baby off, no questions asked. You will be anonymous, um, and and you have that option. I wanted to shift gears if I could a little bit. I, we're hearing that the temperature is starting to get warm. I think it hit 80 today and maybe get a little warmer before the weekend. Certainly the summer season has happened, is, is upon us as well, and that means more activity. And does that, does that increase your uh, busyness, shall we say, in the EMS world? Yeah, it certainly does. You know, thank goodness. Um, I think most of us are, are, are kind of used to 100-plus degree days here in the Tri-Cities, but uh, we're going to go from, you know, being fairly cool to, to fairly warm kind of quickly, even though it's, you know, still going to be in the 80s. It's still going to affect people because we're just not used to it. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that people are taking the proper precautions um, to, to avoid any kind of, of heat stress, heat stroke, or heat illness 
um, because we certainly do see that uh, in the Tri-Cities. And I know, gosh, we could spend the whole program talking about some of these summertime safety tips, but I know probably another one that's important right now is people are wanting to get out on the water and their boats and paddle boarding and things of that nature, kayaking and the like. That water is still pretty cold and probably at certain times of the week uh, still has a pretty sizable current in the Columbia. Yeah, I think that's one thing that people underestimate in the Columbia is uh, certainly how cold it still is. It is still uh, fairly cold. And it is moving, you know, even during the summer when it's, you know, quote unquote, uh, the slow current, it, it is still quick and it, it will sneak up on you. And, you know, we recommend anytime you're out on the water, always have that life jacket. Um, that's that's really the saving grace. That's what's going to save your life. And a lot of times we hear people say, well, I'm a, I'm a really good swimmer. Well, that that's great until, you know, something happens on your on your paddleboard, something happens on the boat where maybe you hit your head, you're knocked unconscious, and you fall in the water, uh, and then you physically can't swim, you can't rescue yourself, and if you don't have a life jacket on, uh, the outcome can be pretty bleak for that. And I know at this time of the year, certainly throughout the summer, the, the fire danger is something that I'm sure keeps you and, and your teams busy and, and running around a lot. Uh, but talk a little bit about just the growth of the community, and, and, and maybe obviously your focus is on Richland, but I'm guessing every fire jurisdiction in our region is is seeing you know the population growth is translating where people are out more where uh, there's just a lot more volume for you and and your colleagues in the EMS world to to follow and to to keep track of yeah it certainly is you know as, as the population continues to grow in the tri cities because it really is a great place to live it's a great place to recreate uh, just over the last two years, uh, Richland Fire, and I know we're not alone in the Tri-Cities, we have seen over a 30% increase uh, in call volume just over the last two years. Huh. And that, uh, that, that large of a spike when we're used to seeing anywhere between 3 to 6% uh, certainly takes a toll on the resources. And I know other agencies in the area are experiencing that same type of rapid growth in call volume, and it, and it puts a stress on the system. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're, we're adding a fire station uh, in the Badger South area is to, number one, build capacity in our system for multiple calls that occur at the same time. But uh, Badger South is kind of an isolated area in regards to uh, fire and EMS coverage, uh, and we want to make sure that we're providing a good service uh, to those citizens in Badger South as well. And that in- increase, uh, what do you attribute it to, that 30% increase? You know, that's a, it's a great question. We've, uh, we've tried to narrow it down to exactly uh, what it is. I can tell you one area that we've seen an extreme jump in is uh, motor vehicle accidents. And it's since uh, COVID uh, started. So we think uh, during COVID when no one was uh, going to work, you know, stores and restaurants were closed, people weren't driving. Uh, you know, our, our kind of running joke is I think people forgot how to drive. Um, and now we're experiencing this large increase in motor vehicle accidents and, quite honestly, very serious motor vehicle accidents. And I was going to say, I know some of them just anecdotally just driving around the streets of the Tri-Cities. Um, and I'm not trying to finger point, but it, I'm guessing younger folks that are that are driving r- rather fast on some of our freeways and thoroughfares. Yeah, it's always a good reminder that uh, speed definitely uh, plays a part into um, many motor vehicle accidents, but it, speed also plays a part in how how serious the injuries are from a motor vehicle accident. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're abiding uh, by the posted speed limits and, and, and just know anytime you're, you know, speeding or if you're, you know, racing another car, uh, you're putting yourself at danger and you're putting others in the community at danger. 
Captain Mike Van Beek, Battalion Chief with the Richland Fire and Emergency Services Department. Thanks again so much for your time. And again, back to the topic at hand that we began this website. If you uh, know of someone that might uh, be in this predicament about a, a newborn less than three days old, the website to visit is dcyf.wa.gov. Our thanks to Mike. Thanks to Marissa Miller from the Catholic ER. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.